Welcome to Crossroads, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and Christian living. Crossroads is part of the media ministry at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. Get to know us by visiting us online at fapc.org. Hi, I'm Jamie Staley, Director of Christian Education at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. And I'm here today with Erin and Erica to continue our conversation on stories. In June, we began um, talking about subversive storytelling and the importance of listening to the stories of those around us. And last month, I was joined by Hannah and Salome uh, to begin a conversation on the stories of race in our community. Um, And we're going to continue that conversation today Uh, talking about uh, raising children in America today. And when, you know, we were talking about this topic, I, I thought, you know, we don't have a lot of kids at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. So is this going to be something that people feel like they shouldn't listen to because they aren't raising children right now? But as as I've had these conversations and as we've moved on, I do, I think this is an important conversation for all of us. Uh, not e- even if you're not raising small children, even if your children are grown or if you don't have children, um, the idea of speaking to the next generation uh, about race is important for all of us. And again, to hear the stories of people of our community, whether or not you are raising children is important. So let's just jump right in, if that's all right with you. Um do you feel like your family currently has a culture of engagement with race and, and why or why not? And tell us a little bit about your family. So, um, so I'm Erica and um, our family is, is small. Um, it's me and my daughter, Chloe Ann, who is about three and a half. Um, um, and, and it's just the two of us. I adopted her just to give a little bit more background. Um, I adopted her, uh, you know, three and a half years ago, um, and she is, <laughs> she is African American. Um, I am actually my my heritage, or you know, my ethnic heritage is um, Korean because I was born in Korea. But I was actually also adopted into a you know, very white family. Um, <clears throat> so that's so. I would say that my. Um, my family situation, you, even like my my parents and my brothers, as well as me and my daughter, we are in a pretty unique situation. Just because I, you know, most families are biologically related, and you have you can actually see genetics, and you can see the same. Um, and we don't, you know, at least at least I don't have any of that with my adoptive parents, and neither does do I have that with my adopted daughter. Uh, I would say, I don't know if it's a culture, I would say we are engaged with race just from being who we are um, because we have to, we don't have to address, we just, it is, I mean, it, it's almost like it is. <laughs> like, we, you know, we are race in our family. Um, <clears throat> I don't know about the culture part because um, <clears throat> at least for for Chloe Ann and me, she's still three and a half. So she's, it's it's, 
you know, we don't really have conversations about it's not like I sit down with her. And you sit her like, down. Uh, you know, but I would say, you know, it's certainly clear that she's aware of it because she has, and I remember also when I was growing up, I was certainly very aware that I did not look like my family. And, you know, she's very aware that she doesn't look like me. I mean, she notices it, you know, she points it out all the time. And she started pointing it out, I would say about, um, you know, eight, ten, you know, maybe even a year ago when she started learning colors. And she's, you know, she says, oh, my skin is brown, but your skin is white. So <clears throat> I don't really do anything. You know, we just talk about it. And, she, you know, she, I just you know, acknowledge, and, you know, we'll going down the street or something, and she'll notice, or, you know, we, the other day, we were out at a place where there were farms, and she was like, look, that one looks like you, and that one looks like me, <laughs> so, talking you know, about so she's definitely, she, she's definitely very aware, yeah, talking about animals, but, you know, the point is that she's very aware of what her skin color is, and it's, you know, to me, like, like I said, I just, right now, just acknowledge what she what she notices and observes and just say, you know, that's right. You know, my skin is, you know, we have a book called this colors of us, which goes through like different skin colors. So we talk about that, you know, we say, yeah, like, you know, remember in this book where, um, but she's very aware of noticing her skin color and where it matches up, you know, whether it's to people or whether it's to something else. So, um, that's, that's really the extent of, of the the culture that I say it's not like you know, it's certainly something that I would you know think about developing and how we're going to have the conversations but right now you know like I say we're in somewhat of a unique position because I think most families don't aren't in the position where you have to actually see different race races in your own immediate family Erin how about you as a white parent with white children do you feel like your family currently has a culture of engagement with race and, and why or why not? Um, you know, I think I would probably answer this question differently, you know, maybe eight years ago. My, my kids are 10 now and seven, just for context. So they're at an age where I feel like it's definitely appropriate to be talking about race. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that at this point in our family life, I feel like we do have a culture of engagement I'm sure it still, you know, needs working on and we're always working on it. But, um, you know, the kids are growing up in a really racially diverse city and they go to racially diverse schools. Um, my daughter, is the 10-year-old, is at a major majority minority school with a really strong focus on social justice. And that is always part of the daily conversations there. It's just woven into the fabric of the school. Mm -hmm. um, that's made it a lot easier to have that as a jumping off point since we are a white family. But, you know, she's used to talking about these things. Um and then, you know, there's the city that we live in, which, yeah, it's diverse, but there is a huge difference in the way people of color and the way white people experience, or can experience living there. And it's not like the kids can't see that, you know, it's, it's mm. in their faces and it's totally different from, you know, I grew up in a small rural town in South Dakota, which was something like, this isn't even just a number, like I looked it up on the census, <laughs> like 98% white, um, you know, a town of 3000 people. There was one black child in my school, actually it was biracial. And, you know, don't get me wrong, there was like still a lot of racism, a lot of it aimed at the Native American community. Mm. There was also just generally a lot of xenophobia about like anyone who was different in any way. And, you know, differences were not celebrated. So, um, you know, having that culture of engagement ar around race is like something that's, um, you know, only come to me as, as, a, as an adult. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then I think the other reasons are, you know, this moment we're in in the past few years, it's gotten easier for me to find, I mean, sadly, to find instances to en- engage the kids mm-hmm. in conversations around this. You know, people are angry and hurting. Friends are angry and hurting. I'm angry and hurting. You turn on the news for five minutes and there's plenty of material there. And, yeah. you know, it's stuff that we talk about and it's stuff that we pray about. And like, also, you know, when you, I don't want to get too political, but, you know, with things like kids at the border, like yeah. these are things that are affecting children. Right. And that my kids see when a newspaper lands on the, you know, the porch or, or whatever. So, um, you know, and then, and I think the other thing is, doing things like, you know, going to protests and marches, like it's not the end all be all, but it does give you a chance to talk to, you know, your older kids um, about signs. You know, what do they mean? Why are people so angry? What are people demanding? Why are they demanding it? How can we support it? How can we show up? How can we learn about it? Um, How can we use, you know, our financial means to try to make changes and policies that are, that are less racist. So I, you know, I feel like I try to look for opportunities to talk to the kids about race and they're not hard to find Mm. given where we live. Um, I think of it a little bit like um, the sex conversation, right? Mm. Which is like not a conversation you want to have one time when your kids are 13, because that's really (laughs) awkward and super ineffective. Um, You know, I, I feel like it's, it has to be something that's ongoing or else it becomes kind of taboo and like, Ooh, it's this one thing we're going to talk about one time. Right. So Mm -hmm. um, I, I heard this, uh, I went to a conference on talking to your neighbors about race and they were, Mm -hmm. they mentioned this uh, activist, Jay Smooth, and he compares it to brushing your teeth, right? You don't, you don't just like extract, like being racist, from your body, like having your tonsils pulled out. It's more like plaque on your teeth Mm. and like you need to pay attention to it all the time. So I try to, I try to like look for opportunities to talk to them about it um, because I don't want it to be taboo. And I I think that can make it feel like really shameful um, thing to talk about. And I don't think that's super, that's not like a super helpful emotion to have when we talk about these things. So, you know, I try to make that continuous effort to like listen and learn and act and understand other people's experiences. Mm, yeah. I like that analogy of the teeth brushing. I haven't heard that one before. Yeah, it's not, it's not mine. It's, <laughs> it's all somebody one. else's. It's a good one. It's a, good it's one. a black person. It's not mine. <laughs> so, you know, growing up in a, in a town that was 98% white, have you felt equipped to have these anti-racism conversations with your kids or what are there times you've felt stumped or how have you, you know, going to a conference, it sounds like, you know, that's learning. How have you done that? And what, what have you felt equipped for that? Uh, no, of course I don't always feel equipped. Um, and that's why I try to keep learning. Um, I mean, I am, so I'm a journalist and part of the reason I became a journalist is because I want to learn about other people and their experiences. And like, I don't find that scary. I find that interesting. And like, I, you know, I think that is a good place to come from. Um, I definitely remember, you know, stumbles and stupid stuff I've said or thought, or like even like biased things that go through my head and I'm like, Whoa, where'd that come from? You know? So like, I definitely don't always feel equipped. Um, And like I said, I didn't grow up in a household or a culture that engaged on race at all. You know, even in school, it's like maybe you get a couple paragraphs in a history book about the civil rights movement, um, but not the full, not the full story. Um, So I always have more to learn um, and I'm open to that, you know, and I'm trying to work on that. And I think it's easy to feel like embarrassed or ashamed or stumped or whatever. But, you know, I think that the more conversations we have about this, hopefully, um, the more and more equipped we feel as as the conversations go on. What are your biggest concerns when it comes to raising your kids today in regards to race? 
Um, this was kind of a tough question for me because um, when I think about it as a white person, I think about, you know, what I hear from my black friends or people of color about what their concerns are and like mine are so minor in comparison, right? You know, it, it, the most common one, you know, you hear is black people talking to their boys about what to do if they ever have an interaction with the police, right? That's something I don't even have to think about, right? It's like the police are there to help me. I don't have to be typically scared of them, right? Um, so, but like when I think about it, like authentically, right? So that's not my, that's not my personal concern, like with my, with my kids and like what's happening around race. Um, so even that is like a privilege that I don't have to worry about, right? But I think one of my concerns is just that like things don't change, right? It's like we have all these policies in this country that prop up racism and segregation. And like my fear is that, you know, we're in this moment where everyone's like, it's changing, it's going to change. And, you know, um, I, I worry that it won't change. And like, I also think about like the choices that I make in this really imperfect system that we live in and that my choices will somehow perpetuate it. Right. Like, like thinking about schools, it's like, I chose to send my kids to public schools and, you know, I think that's the right thing to do. And then you get to a public school and you realize that like all the kids in one class are, or most of them are white, not all of them, but like, you know, there's segregation even within schools. And then you're like, oh no, like I was trying to do the right thing. And yet it's not working. Right. And so when you think about the systems that we move in and how messed up they are, you know, um, that, that's, that's a big concern of mine. And I know that it's not the same concerns that, that people of color have. And, and then I think, you know, too, like, how can I, there's a lot of talk about being an ally and like, how can I do that effectively? Am I doing anything right? Am I, you know, am I helping my kids do things right? Um, am I doing enough? Like, probably not. Erica, what about you? Well, I mean, I think the the certainly the biggest thing is you know, like being African American and in, in this in our in our nation is you know it's it's you know just to put it out there. I just feel like you're you're not you know there is a racism here, and I read all these articles and all these stories and books about people who experience racism, you know, if you're African-American, regardless of what your education is or, you know, I mean, there are so many examples that have just occurred, have happened in the past couple of months. And so even though she's going to grow up in a different world, you know, she's going to grow up primarily with my my cultural heritage, which, again, is pretty white. Um, but once she exits my orbit or, you know, once... If she like right now, when she's around me, you know, every you know, it feels like everything's safe because everybody looks at me and we're you know, and so she's not really perceived as African American or black. But I know that that's going to change, and so my biggest concern is, you know, in situations when she starts to get a little bit more independent, even when she goes to school, she's going to experience, you know, I I am a hundred. I would like to say, you know, she won't experience it, but I'm pretty sure she's going to experience. Um, whatever it's microaggressions or macroaggressions or, you know, just outright racism, um, because she's, she's black, you know, and that's, you know, so when I think about preparing her, you know, I think about having to have those conversations, not about how are you going to deal, how are we going to become a more, or protect against us being less, taking our biases or being less 
quote unquote racist. It's more about how it, how am I going to you know raise her so that she feels like she's equipped and protected when these things happen to her. So we, you know, as parents, we um, try to help our children develop physically and emotionally and intellectually, you know, through school and activities. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time um, and effort on those. What what ideas are how, how might you invest in supporting Chloe Ann with her racial development? Um, well, I think the most, uh, you know, things that I try to do are. Um, you know, I have a lot of books that are more diverse. I mean, I, I do try to buy a lot of books that have more stories of African-American children or families. Um, dolls, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day and, and thinking and preparing for this. I mean, you know, we have, a, a, a you know, a bunch of um, African-American or black dolls. Um, and I was, I was thinking, you know, if I had a what you know, a white child, or you know, you know, would I, would I have bought African, would I have bought African American dolls for that, for that? And I was thinking, you know, I probably wouldn't have, but why shouldn't you know, why why shouldn't we? Um, you know, so books, um, you know, dolls, like certain you know representations, you know, just making sure that that's that's you know, she has other other. Um, role models or, you know, other people to look at that are, you know, have the same skin color as her. Um, you know, the one thing I feel is missing is, you know, I don't have a huge network and, you know, so that's something that I feel like, you know, I really need to spend some time. What I found interesting is that, you know, we do the story time online, um, which is like the great, you know, they do these actors, they record these actors um, making, you know, reading books and everything. And one that she really, you know, we do a lot of them. Um, but one that she really likes to do is the one with that Oprah Winfrey recorded of, like, the hula hooping queen. Um, you know, and I always find it fascinating, you know, thinking, you know, why is she gravitating particularly to that one? I mean, you know, when we go there, she definitely wants to, to watch it again and again. I know that my, my own children, um, uh, who are also adopted... <laughs> Um, as yes. I am, so we share that. We share that in we common. Yeah, adopted parents, adopted children. Uh, my children, my children are biracial, um, and they are Latinx. And um, just the idea of of them, of my daughter who who wants to have blue eyes and wants to look like me because she's that's what she sees on TV. That's what she sees. Those are the things, and it has been important for me as well to to get dolls that look like her to point mm-hmm. her to books with characters that look like her, point her to role models that look like her because because those are, you know, as much as, you know, when the questions I asked here, <laughs> a lot of them talked about raising our kids as anti-racist. And when I think of that, I think of that as being something that white people, you know, are, are you know, we, we're going to be anti-racist white people and we're going to be anti-racist. But just remembering that, that these kids being anti-racist is also being sure that they love who they are and what color they are and that they have that representation in this. Um, and, you know, I want my daughter to love the way she looks. She's beautiful. I want her to love that about herself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember growing up, again, wanting the same things that, um, you know, not wanting a flat nose and, like, wanting, uh, you know, wanting you know, uh, Caucasian eye, you know, Caucasian eyes. And, you know, I wanted that for a long time. So, um, 
yeah, I can identify with that. I hope that, I mean, this is where I actually feel like it's more, I mean, I think in the 50 years, um, from, you know, maybe 40 or 30 (laughs) (laughs) since I was growing up. So I do feel more hopeful because I feel like in the past, I don't know how many, 10, 20, 30 years, (laughs) (laughs) um, there has been much more um, diversity. And again, it's not where it ought to be, Mm -hmm. but I do feel like it's much better um, in terms of having at least black role models or you Mm -hmm. have Hispanic or Asian American role models or just Asian, you know. So I feel like that's good. And, you know, there are a lot more people and just, and especially even in New York, I think that's a lot, I think that's very helpful too. Yeah. Um, You know, but like I said, I feel like um, uh, there with there was a picture book of Barack and Michelle Obama from his presidency. And so Mm. we started, I started showing that to her um, pretty early on. And so she used, she learned to recognize them. And so that was, that was, that was really exciting. And then you're just having other picture books um, and just entertainers and just great act, you know, activist leaders and business leaders. So I feel like there's a lot, and there's a lot more awareness. So I actually feel like that's, I feel a lot more hopeful about that. Just having, Mm the kids growing up today having a lot more diversity in terms of representation to look to. Um, we can obviously still do a lot more mm-hmm. in terms of, of increasing that. And I think we do because when I, at least from the world, my business world that I come from, mm-hmm. um, it is very white male. Mm. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, we talk all the time, you know, in fact, tomorrow we're going on this, you know, we're going to have a panel about women and biotechnology and, you know, what does that mean? And, um, you know, so we definitely still need to do more work um, because there, you know, there. Are, but at least now, I feel like there's a lot more diversity, and it's, um, and so I feel more hopeful about that for mm-hmm. for our children. Yeah. Erin, what are some ways you see that you can invest in your kids' racial development? I mean, as far as the, you know, how we're helping our kids develop, I mean, you know, try to make sure they stay active and keep on talking and sharing and make sure they're learning and able to follow their interests, you know, to the extent that we have time. Um, As far as like racial development, um, I guess one thing I think about is like, what are the inputs that they're seeing, right? Like, um, you know, both mine and their own, like what TV programs are we watching? Like what, um, what conversations can we have around those things? You know, what can help me understand the world that we live in, you know, through, um, a lens that includes race and, you know, how can we change the problems that we have or become allies? How can I help my kids understand what's going on? Right? Like, are we listening to what black people have to say? Are we listening to the black people we know and the people of color we know and the queer people in my life and our neighbors? And like, are we reading about their experiences and like trying to, you know, have empathy around that. And like, even like for me, like, who am I even following on Twitter? You know, whose stories am I listening to? And like, how can I learn from those things to help my kids understand the world around them? Being that we're part of the same church congregation, um, how do you feel about um, Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church and um, the way that uh, race is is talked about or is ex- expressed is... Um, the idea of of anti-racism um, at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Do you have any thoughts about that or any hopes for where Fifth Avenue could go or is going? I mean, I would note that 
I feel like there is some diversity in Fifth Avenue, but I also will just put it out there that I don't, you know, it's still fairly white. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just an observation. And, you know, I'm there. I mean, that's, again, that's the community I grew up with. You know, I feel very comfortable there. So that's a lot of the reason why I'm here um, at Fifth Avenue. In terms of where we go, um, you know, it would be great to see more diversity. But, I, you know, how we get there, I, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure. I think that the way, certainly that the way that we talk about it and, and you know, all are welcome is 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 great because all are welcome so I think that that's that that's great I mean it's just hard because you have communities that just you know come together because you are similar and so it's hard you know you're automatically and that it's not just Fifth Avenue but it's any it's any community so you're always going to struggle against struggle to figure out how you increase the diversity um, to people who are not necessarily within your traditional group one thing I would say about, you know, talking about race is it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to actually do it. And, you know, I've experienced in my, you know, as I just told you with my own life, I feel sort of equipped, but not really. And, but I'm just going to deal with it. And I, you know, the one area where I feel like I haven't done as much is trying to create a network that's much more diverse within my own community, my friends and my you know, but in, you know, on my business and, and it's been hard. So, like I said, you know, in some ways I feel like, you know, my struggle myself, which is, you know, I do a lot of reading. I can talk a lot about it. I can talk about what I want to do and what it is, but you know, the actual developing of that network that's going to be more diverse has been the hardest thing for me. And in some ways, if I had to say for FAPC, I feel like that's maybe, you know, a similar situation in which, or, you know, you know, a similar struggle in that it's very easy to talk about. It's very easy to have a lot of conversations and it's very easy to say where we'd like to go. But then in terms of actually diversifying, that's the hard part. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Erin, what do you think about Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in relationship to race and racism? Um, I think it would be great to see some like organized um, efforts, right? Like, Like I'm thinking of how we actually, I'm not even sure we do this anymore. So I need to check, but I know that for the pride parade, we like host a staging area for like a float, right. Um, for the pride parade, like I think doing something like that would be cool, right. Getting involved with some merches or, you know, helping kids find a way to get involved would be great. Um, I know that we often say that like, you know, we might not all look alike and we might not all think alike, (laughs) but sometimes I think like we do kind of all look alike and think alike. So like, finding ways to make us actually um, look like what we say we look like, um, (laughs) you know, uh, and whatever those may be. And, um, you know, just looking for opportunities to serve and to support. Um, And I, I, you know, I know we're doing some things now, but I I think there's always room for more. And so um, I'm trying to think of like specifics. one thing that I really enjoyed that we did, I'm trying to think when it was, but we went to uh, another church in Queens, as I think it was probably like two years ago, and we sat with members of their congregation and we talked about what our concerns were. Yeah, and First Press Jamaica, right? Yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. And I went to that and it was so interesting to sit down with a table full of people who like their congregation did not look like ours. Um, and... 
just kind of listen to them and they listen to us and it I don't know they're they're con- like one of the teenagers stood up and said um you know one of my big one of my big concerns is the cost of an MTA card going up right of like a single ride MTA card and I was like would have never thought of it you know and so just like hearing our neighbors and what their concerns are and then thinking about how can we use our privilege and our advantages that we have to you know whether it's who you vote for or a political cause you want to support or an organization and like how can we hear what other people are saying and what their needs are and try to meet that with some of the advantages that our church has and that our congregation has and you know um yeah so those are a couple of things <laughs> or inviting you know the other thing is i really um appreciate it when we've invited speakers like um Reverend Barber to come speak about the poor people's campaign. And, um, I, I think that can be really important giving up, not giving up. Sorry. <laughs> I knew I'd step in it at some point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how we can think about, you know, using our pulpit to give, um, a range of voices, a microphone, right. And are we thinking about like week to week, who's up there, who are we listening to, whose perspective are we hearing? Right. So I think that's important as well. What are some resources you've used to help support raising anti-racist children? So like one thing I mentioned earlier was their schools. Um, I feel like their schools have been really good resources for all of this um, just because of the type of schools that they go to. Um, And I feel like I can try to engage with them when they come home and like try to draw on those things. You know, they have a lot of, you know, black authors or illustrators or artists come in to talk to the schools about what they do and what they put out in the world. And like, here's what it is. And like, um, and the kids get really engaged with that stuff. And so I try to not just like let that sit. I try to be like, Oh, tell me about it. And like, let's talk about it. Um, so that's been like a really good resource. So thank you to all those public school teachers and principals out there who are like helping us have these conversations. Um, and I hope, you know, we can find ways to do that throughout the tumult this is that is this weird like school time that we're living in um and then I think like I don't know if these are like resources exactly but you know looking to things like art and music and food I think are another interesting way that we can like help engage on race and ethnicity and culture and it's just like a good like non-threatening entry point to talk to kids about this stuff right like we're not talking about like all the, you know, we're not all the time talking about like slavery and civil rights. It's more just like, oh, like, you know, let's talk about this music we're listening to and like some of the influences and where those came from or like the Southern food is really good. Like, do you know where, you know, where that's actually from? And like, um, I just think there can be ways to, to use the things culturally that are happening around you to sort of start conversations and like celebrate other cultures and races, history and culture, you know, like we celebrate our Norwegian culture in certain ways and like how can we appreciate other cultures and um, other people and like their histories um, and, and the differences, you know, because that's part of like, for me, what has been such a rich experience about living in New York is like coming from this place where like everybody was, um, you know, on the face of it, at least more the same than different. Like I love living in this place where we can, sort of, you know, celebrate all these people's differences and, and, um, and learn from each other. So that's, that's one thing I think about. And then the other resource that I try to sort of be intentional about is like, I mentioned, uh, you know, not always making it about like, you know, the history of slavery or the story of Harriet Tubman or these things, right? Like I try to have books around that they can read that are just like, 
about normal kids from different backgrounds or races, just like living their lives or being in their communities, you know, and not being pitied or cast as heroes. And it's, it, you know, like, um, I'm thinking of, uh, there's one book called The Last Stop on Market Street, and it's just about a little boy in San Francisco riding the the bus with his grandmother, and they talk about what they see around them, right? And I think that, like, having those resources um, in your home can be, um, I don't know, just good entry points to having conversations with your kids. There are resources out there to help us. Uh, The public school system that you're in sounds like a great resource um i know there's also a lot of books out there um, yeah i was gonna ask you what have you what have you been reading and what would you recommend for parents who want to sort of um further their journey on on these discussions yeah definitely so one of my favorites is actually called raising white kids Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's by it's by jennifer harvey and um some of the questions that we talked about are actually from this this book um and she uh just really explores what it means to uh, raise white kids in a race conscious world and how um, our responsibility as white parents is to um, teach them to be anti-racist that we um, can't just rely on them learning that somewhere else because they will they will learn the wrong thing right so. <laughs> what have been what was like your number one takeaway from that book or what have been some of the things that you've incorporated into your family about that sorry I'm interviewing you now I no, guess no th- that's great <laughs> so my children my children are actually not white So (laughs) I read the book called Raising White Kids. Uh, My children are um, Latinx, but um, Mm -hmm. they they, um, often see themselves as white. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Um, And so, yeah, you know, it's been it's been an it was an interesting read for me because at some points I was like, you know what, this is something I want to teach my kids, you know, these anti-racist, how they are dealing with children from other races, um, what they are going to how they are going to react when they are in a situation of someone being racist. Mm -hmm. Um, But but at the same time, I was also flipping those and seeing those um, uh, from a different perspective of saying that this could this could um, be my child in the in the other end of it. So um, it was an interesting book to read. I haven't quite found a book on being a white parent. That's what I need a resource. Someone send it to me. <laughs> I need a, I need the resource that's being a white parent to biracial children. There we go. That's what I need um, <laughs> because it comes with another set of issues. <laughs> right. Sure. Um, yeah. That's an interesting perspective. So, yeah, well, and, you know, honestly, that was one of the reasons we wanted to have this conversation with um, with a a few different people, because we, you know, as we all raise children of of different races, these are the conversations that um, are not going to be the same for each of us, you know, and and uh, it's important that we have the that we all have those conversations with each other as well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we do have a. uh, a new response team um, that is the anti-racism response team. And we've uh, have several members and staff on this team. um, And their goal is to take us beyond talking. So um, we've decided that these podcasts, this is a great start, you know, to have these conversations, but we need to go, uh, we need to go further than this. So um, that, you know, hopefully this, this summer podcast series will spring us into some fall action. Um, because that's where that's where we need to head. So thank you so much for being being with me and having this conversation. Um, as we move into the fall, uh, as I said just a little bit ago, 
Uh, we are going to hopefully continue some conversations about race um, in a, in continue those in a variety of different places, not just the podcast, but some other um, places as well, because we want to continue to have these conversations. We want to continue to hear the stories of people in our own community, uh, because that is important to us. The, the other thing that we are going to do this fall um, is we have our fall podcast series, which will be about fear. Um, so do not be afraid encountering God in times of fear. Uh, we hope that everyone will be able to uh, join us for that as well. So thank you again, Erica and Aaron, for joining me today. Thank you for listening to Crossroads. Our managing editor is Jamie Staley. Edited by Machina Brisbane, Reverend Dr. Charlene Han Powell, Kelly Bacayo, and Emily Dumbroff.